This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Welcome back, my friends, to another edition, another installment, another episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Matthew here on what has continued to be a rather chilly, overcast, gloomy, pretty cold uh, period of time here in Northeast Ohio. Actually, we had some freezing rain last night that coated the front porch and the deck. I even had to wheel out a chair and put a small note for uh, the postal delivery person to make sure that uh, he or she didn't actually walk onto the porch because it was completely covered in about a half an inch of thick of ice. So that would have been dangerous for that person and it would have been dangerous for me as well. So it's been one of those uh, times where we haven't had a ton of snow, but winter continues its icy grip and we just uh, move on, onward through the fog. My wife has become fairly depressed because she wants to get outside and start working with plants, but as she and I both know, nobody talks about working <laughs> with plants. On the 6th day of February in Northeast Ohio, it just simply does not happen. A lot of news lately over the past week, overshadowed, of course, by the impeachment of a president, but important nonetheless, really has to do with my chosen industry and my chosen profession and that's the radio broadcasting profession, where companies continue to not only just lay people off, but also warn people who are still working in the, in the industry that the cuts are, are not about to stop anytime soon. And so there certainly is a lot of talk about what will happen to this profession. And how important is this profession to the everyday ebb and flow of people's lives? And I do ask those same questions because in the business that I have, which is basically a supplier of content primarily to radio stations and others who use radio as one of their primary advertising mediums, I wonder, too, what that's supposed to mean for me and for others. And even though we've been given sufficient time to look ahead in the crystal ball and see some of this occurring, I don't really think any of us fully realized how quickly it could occur and would occur. On one hand, I've always been fairly grateful that... I knew early on, even as a child, really, what I wanted to do with my life. And it stemmed from laying in bed at night with a transistor radio next to my ear, listening to ball games and really anything else that I could hear going up and down the dial at night that would be of interest to me. I just absolutely loved the radio. 
And not only did my mother buy me uh, a fairly complex and uh, elaborate radio, but she also gave me a small transistor radio that I would hide in my pillow at night. And sometimes when my brother Mark, I have a twin brother, we occupied the same room. We would listen to things throughout the evening uh, when the lights were out. And once I knew he was asleep, I didn't want to wake him up. So I would turn the volume low and I would sort of strategically place the radio next to my ear on the pillow so I could hear. And then I could be able to reach over with my left hand and turn the dial up and down so I could get radio stations from other cities and other states. It was always a joyous goal of mine to try to figure out which station I could hear that was the furthest away. And even though I didn't know that I maybe possessed a quote-unquote radio voice, I was always fairly confident that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on the radio. And so, from that standpoint, I'm very grateful that I was able to realize this dream of mine. And not only just to realize it, but to make a living at it. And to travel to different places, much to the chagrin of my wife sometimes, I think, in search of more and better opportunities, the chance to sample other areas of the country. But as this bad news hits and continues to hit, and I wonder about the state of things, it does put me in a situation where depression can latch on and seemingly not go away. And I feel that sense of angst both for myself and for others in the industry who continue to lose jobs and continue to be involved in an industry where we really don't know what its long-term impact will be. We really don't know who is actually going to listen to it with all of the platforms that are at our disposal. And some could say that the, the higher-ups, the, the philosopher kings affiliated with our industry could have given us better warning or prepared us more or continued not to put their head in the sand. And in reality, I think that the tide came in so quickly that it left a lot of people affiliated with my chosen industry sort of standing around with their jaw dropped to the ground, wondering how are we going to respond to this? How can we respond to this? I remember early on when I would ride the bus home from school and it would be this time of the year where the sun set early in the late afternoon. And I would see those radio towers in the distance with the red light blinking off and on, wondering what they were broadcasting. What would I listen to that night? Would there be a 
basketball game on the radio in the dead of winter or a hockey game or a news broadcast, which voices would I hear? Would my voice ever sound like that guy? Could I ever produce a radio commercial like she could? Did I want to work in news? Did I want to play records? Did I want to do a sports talk show? Where did I want to do it? What time did I want to do it? Because radio was 24-7, at least in my mind. And now I look around here in my studio, and while I'm grateful for the chance to simply descend (laughs) into the basement to go to work, while others are climbing in vehicles and dealing with snowy roads to get to their place of employment, I've certainly had my time with that with those journeys that's for sure i do wonder what has become and what will become of my quote unquote body of work most of my work before computers existed on cassette tapes and in the room behind me which started out as really a vocal booth and now is really a storage closet i have a fairly large shoebox, and inside are just cassettes after cassette of various things that I've done over the years, various commercials that I've recorded, various auditions that I've sent to people in search of a job that might pay me $3,000 more a year, tape recordings of some of my favorite voice artists, and tape recordings of some of my favorite on-air talent, but mostly tapes of me doing shows 20 years ago, commercials recorded and produced 25 years ago. When I was working in Knoxville in the early 90s, I I happened to pod a cassette, which I still have, and it was a cassette that I put in the cassette recorder that recorded the on-air signal of the first radio station I ever worked for. It was WTIG in Maslin, Ohio, 990 on the AM dial on the third floor of an old downtown hotel in Maslin, Ohio. And it was me playing country music, and I didn't know a thing about country music. Absolutely zero. I mean, I kind of knew who Kenny Rogers was at the time. But for the most part, I didn't know anything about them. But my job was to play the records, and so I recorded myself. I wanted to hear myself. I wanted to figure out a way to get better at what I was doing. When I was working in Knoxville, I brought that cassette in and I said, Hey folks, I wanted you to hear the first show I ever did. And so I played the cassette and it was a riot. It was me trying to backsell a song and a title of an artist. And I didn't know who the artist was because I didn't know the music. And the record was going round and round, and my eye, my head was going round and round in the same direction as the record, trying to follow the words so I knew exactly who the artist was, so I could read the title and tell everybody, all four listeners in Masson, Ohio, <laughs> on that afternoon, what that record and who that artist was. And so that prompted everybody else to bring in their cassettes the next day. They wanted, they wanted to showcase their first time on the air. So we all had a big laugh, cracked open a couple of beers and listened to each other mangle the radio airwaves. Just thinking back on those days, 
just sends tremors of excitement through me. I can still remember what that studio and WTIG, what it smelled like when you walked in there. The smell of hot electricity from all of the old equipment. The thrill of knowing that you had 20 seconds left and the counter was counting backwards. And in 20 seconds that song would end and you got to speak and just the feeling of butterflies in your stomach. Good butterflies. Because you were just so excited to know that that thing in front of your face when you flipped the toggle switch to the right and it silenced those monitors in the studio and meant that that mic was hot, it was live. And I got to talk into it. And however many people were listening would hear me. And I just don't know that I've ever encountered anything so thrilling in all my life to match that. When I was working in Pittsburgh, I remember driving home one night, walked across the Fort Duquesne Bridge over to my car, and it was cold. And I got in the car, and I was waiting for it to warm up. I finally put it in drive and was making my way north out of the city to our home in Allison Park. And some, something that I had written and produced earlier in the afternoon came on the air. And, and I looked down at that dial. And it said 1020 on the dial, the famous 1020. There's no other 1020 in the AM dial. KDKA is the station, the world's first radio station. And I, I looked out where the three rivers met and all of the lights at night were gleaming and, and it was the holidays and cars were swarming around me and, and people were buzzing and it was bustling. And, and I just knew in all of those cars that a lot of people had the same radio station on that I was listening to. It was the voice of Pittsburgh. And at that same exact time, they were listening to me broadcast some commercial on one of the greatest frequencies ever. Like, I look down and I see 1020 on the dial and it's my voice coming out of those speakers. And I just marveled at the fact that I got to do that. I was just so grateful that I made it to that place and it was able to be a part of that station. And that feeling of driving to some little station in Alliance, Ohio to do a show, that feeling of Walking into that studio in Massillon to play country records, that burning electric smell. I've, I've never encountered anything since. Looking down at that dial, that 1020 dial, and hearing my voice come out of that console, is just a thrill that I've never been able to match.
being at a live broadcast and having listeners walk up to you and saying, I listened to you in the afternoon, or I, I knew that was your voice, I heard you. I, I can't imagine any other career matching that thrill. And that thrill is gone. So I look at this body of work, and my whole body of work is in this shoebox. That's it. And while there are certain people, certainly people in our industry, who, whose body of work has been preserved you now on YouTube or any of the other social media platforms, you know, famous disc jockeys in New York and Los Angeles, famous commercials that have been recorded over the years, famous voice artists who have done amazing movie trailer work. Most of us will never have our body of work memorialized like that or honored like that. Most of the body of work is in a shoebox, in a closet. So what does that mean? If a person has worked in an insurance office for 30 years, and they sit back in their chair, and they look out over the cubicles of space, and they say to themselves, what have I done? What have I done here? What is my body of work? Recording artists have a body of work. They have records or cassettes or tapes. And that body of work might go on because other people might enjoy it. Father Fick in the seminary used to say, Will the work live? Yes, Stephen King is popular, but will his work live? Like John Steinbeck lives like Hemingway lives, certainly like Shakespeare lives. Will Stephen King live? Will Dean Koontz live? Will Matthew live? What of his work will live? What does it mean? Who will appreciate it besides the person who owns the shoebox in the closet? So people in my industry have a propensity to hearken back to the good old days. Why can't it be like it was? There are so many talented people out of work. Why can't the medium exist just a little bit longer? Why can't we just hold on just a little bit longer? When we all know that the train really has left the station. And it's never going to come back to what it was. And while there may be a place for it, amongst all of the other platforms. It will never be what it once was. Those who are responsible and have been responsible for dictating the direction of our industry, the philosopher kings, none of them have come up with any way to combat the meteoric rise of all of these other platforms and the speed which they've traveled to surpass our chosen profession. 
It's almost like somebody's standing there in the subway terminal and the subway trains are going in both directions at rapid speed. And that person is just standing there helpless watching it happen. So the question is, well, what do I do now? What do we do now? What do you do now? What does anybody do whose chosen profession has, has left them, has deteriorated to such an extent where we're forced to ask ourselves questions like, what do we do now? Will someone see the skills that we have and put them to use somewhere else? And at this late stage in the game, will we have the energy to put them to use for anything else? I talked to a good friend of mine last night on the phone who is an industry stalwart, someone who is extremely well-respected, well-respected by the industry, well-respected by me. And I'm really grateful for that conversation. I needed that conversation. And he said, essentially, don't let these people define you. You define yourself. You have a skill set that can be put to use by some other industry who's going to appreciate you and who's going to want you. And I did admit to him that I felt pretty low simply because it seemed like even to get a return phone call or a return email, was something that wasn't likely to happen by people who were once industry associates of mine, people whom I could count on, people who respected what I did, people who respected my body of work. And it just seemed like all of it was going by the wayside that I was doing everything I could do to hang on to what I had, that regardless of how low a rate I could charge or how quickly I could get it to them, those selling points simply weren't enough to combat the speeding bullet train that was bypassing my chosen vocation. And so this well-respected friend of mine said, find a vocation that will respect you. It's out there. And I agree with him. It's just summoning the energy to make it happen. So I was really grateful for that conversation. It's almost like I needed to hear someone who has been long established in our industry to just read me the riot act about it. So today, while I was on my walk, I thought, you know, regardless of how it turns out, I'm grateful for the fact that I was able to do what I wanted to do. Some people never get to do what they want to do. And aside from my three-year journey into the Catholic seminary, I've really only wanted to be behind a microphone, and I got to do it. 
And I got to do it in some fairly large markets. And I got to do it in some fairly small markets too, family-owned businesses that really regarded their communities with importance and realized the value of having a radio station to be committed to their area, to be in their area, to broadcast, and to be a part of the fabric of that community. Now, I got to be a part of some very large sets of call letters. I got to be in some very interesting places. I got to meet some very interesting people. And for those things, I'm grateful. To the right of me is a large frame, a glassed frame. And inside are just a bunch of trinkets. I'm staring at it right now. They're, they're little trinkets, everything from bumper stickers to the, the name plate that might have been on my desk to business cards to pay stubs and photos of just various places where I've worked within my industry. And I was saying to Donna when we were riding the other day down a road that I used to take over to Alliance, which is about 40 minutes away, and I had a weekend job, and it was overnights. And I said, you know, it just seems like yesterday that I would get my stuff together, you know, Saturday evening around 10.30, and put it in a briefcase, a briefcase covered with radio station stickers. And I would put a sandwich and a little Debbie cake and a couple of cans of Coke in that briefcase. I'd grab my headphones and I'd kiss her goodnight and I'd start my 40-minute drive over to Alliance so that I could be there at 11.30 and chit-chat with the guy who was on the air so I could start at midnight and work till 5 in the morning. And I would live for those nights. I would work my full-time job and in the middle of the day I would think, I only have three days and 14 more hours before I get to get in the car and drive over to Alliance so I can play music and get paid to do it. Not a lot of people get to feel that way about something. But I said to her, it just seems like yesterday that I was getting in that car. I remember what I used to wear. I remember the car. I remember the color of the briefcase. I remember the color of the studio, the color of the carpet in the studio, where I parked my car. Just one of the many things that make up a body of work, and probably somewhere in that shoebox behind me, there's probably a cassette of tapes of those shows. But I'm grateful that I got to do what I wanted to do, even though the red light blinking on the top of the tower, who knows? It may not be blinking for much longer. So my advice is, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do before it's too late. Thanks for tuning into this edition of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. <laughs>